Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. We've been there for this for the most of this series. It's been an incredible time where as we are going into the sixth and final part of our series, Profound, where we've been talking about the parables of Jesus. Jesus had a way of teaching profound truths in very simple ways. And one of the primary ways that he taught is through parables. Parables are simply a story rolled alongside a truth to communicate what he was trying to communicate about the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Matthew 13 has really been focused on. And we have two parables that we're going to go through today as we finish this series up. But the sermon title today is called Worth It. It's worth it. Uh, We all experience moments where we're irritated in life. Some of you may be irritated even right now or you've been irritated on your car drive into church or you're at home or wherever you are. Uh, but we can experience moments of irritation. We all have them, whether it's uh, from, uh, if you live, obviously we live in Houston, this Houston traffic can be irritating yes. because there's, see, we got confirmation. Amen. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm not the only one with construction happening all around. It can be very easy to be irritated when it comes to driving around, but it could be work, it could be boss, it could be parenting, so many different things to be irritated by. But the truth is, I believe that if we have the proper perspective of irritation, that God can actually use it uh, to lead us to, the, to our purpose and the plans that he has for our lives. So I have two points today, and my first point is this, the impact of irritation, the impact of irritation. Matthew 13, we're going to start in verse 45 and 46. It says, again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl, remember that, of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, Jesus uses a a parable about a pearl, and I believe he's conveying a specific message. One, we need to realize the merchant is actually seeking after the pearl. This isn't a, like last week where we talked about the hidden treasure. He just he, he grabbed it and, and hid it once again and told everything he had to grab it. He's actually seeking and searching out these pearls. See, pearls in Jesus' day were very expensive. Uh, I know many of us wouldn't know this, but we may not think about it at times. Or they didn't have scuba diving equipment in Jesus' day whenever he's sharing this message. So they would have to go in, in the water to be able to retrieve it. It was very costly for them to attain and sometimes cost people their lives, but it was also costly to purchase. So he's conveying a message about that. As a matter of fact, I kind of went down this rabbit hole of learning about pearls whenever I came to this parable. So we're going to learn a little bit about pearls today, if that's all right with you. I learned that the most expensive pearl in history is the La Peregrina. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. Some of you may know. But it is a pear-shaped natural pearl that weighs 50.56 carats. Uh, It was discovered in the Philippines in the 16th century. And in 2011, the pearl was sold at an auction for $11.8 million for that one pearl. So needless to say, pearls can be very costly. Uh, and Jesus is conveying, conveying that message. But what is it that makes a pearl distinct from other gems? There's obviously many gemstones 
in, in the world. Uh, but I actually believe Jesus used the pearl for a reason and really ties that back even into our lives. And you may be able to see the connection as I speak of them. First thing is, pearls are the only gemstones that are created by living organisms. You don't break or cut a pearl. It's a unity. Diamonds are pressurized rock. You can break them, but you can cut them. When a pearl is formed, the light waves, when they hit it, uh, help it. They help shape it. They help give it its aura. They help give it its color. The greater the light, the greater the luster. Let me tell you, the greater the presence of light, the greater the luster in which they shine. The unique formation of pearls actually occurs because of an irritation. It's actually a defense mechanism to keep the irritation that comes in like a piece of sand or anything like that, and they form a pearl around it because of it. Now, what does that have to do with us? God gave life to humanity with his breath. We actually came from someone who was living, and it said he breathed into mankind, he breathed into his nostrils, and we became a living being or living soul. We're the pinnacle of all of his creation. We also know that Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And the more the light of the world that we have in our lives, the greater that we're going to shine. But we have to get in the light's presence for us to be able to shine the light that comes from him. And we were formed by God and shaped by him to do his good purposes. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 1.5 says this, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. So God was a part of your formation. He was a part of our story from the very beginning. But here's what I want to say. I want to focus a little bit on irritation because I actually believe irritation in our lives can be an indicator. It can be an indicator, one, that something's wrong, but also it can be an indicator that God has something more in store for your life. He has more in store for your marriage. He has more in store for your work at the same time. See, if you've ever been irritated at work, uh, sometimes you want to make a, a quick decision, uh, but it could be an irritation is showing up in that moment. It's not because of where you work. It's because of the way that you work, and there needs to be some changes there for what God is preparing you for in this next season. Sometimes, as Christians, we kind of put some Christianese language to it. We just say the grace has just lifted, and I just need the transition or whatever. But the truth is, the grace for the way that you were doing it beforehand may have lifted, and God's calling you to do it in a new way. It's important for us to realize that. See, if we would submit our irritation and surrender it to the Holy Spirit, he can actually use it as fuel for our future. If we would trust him. Sometimes in our marriages, irritation uh, can actually be a sign of something that is preventing intimacy for you. I've had the chance to uh, pastor and counsel people in marriage counseling, and sometimes this topic will come up as just like, hey, this don't feel in love anymore. I, I, we just fell out of love. Typically, I respond very kindly as I possibly can. Well, first of all, uh, love is a choice, not a feeling. Uh, so I start there. But also, what you may be going through in this moment is an indication that you may have fallen actually out of trust. You may have fallen out of honest communication. You may have fallen out of vulnerability because all those are necessary for intimacy. And if you would take that as a sign that you need to do the things that you did at the beginning to love each other, win each other's hearts again, because just because you're married doesn't mean you stop dating. Hello, anybody out there? Okay. So it's important for us 
Don't just use the irritations to run away from them. You may actually need to press in because God can use the irritations in our lives to shape us and form us for his glory. When you look at Abraham's life, God gave him a promise, but there was an irritation of a delay, and he had to be patient in order to receive the promise that God had for him. David was anointed king, and it was over 17 years later before he actually stepped into being a king. But he was in the wilderness. He was leading people. Uh, the disciples, they were called to be witnesses of Jesus. But there were several times that they experienced storms that tested their faith. How many of you know God's going to test you? The great news is that every test he gives is meant to pass, and it's actually an open book test. He gives you his word to give you the strength necessary to pass the test that you are currently facing. But there are many times, if you read through the Gospels, that they face storms, and sometimes God actually sent them to the other side knowing that there would be a storm there so that they would grow in their faith and ultimately their trust in him, and God revealed himself. The children of Israel, God's chosen people, faced irritation after irritation when they were in the wilderness. They, it was a season of irritation for them. But there was a promise that God had also given them at the same time. See, one of the biggest things that was an irritation for them in this season was around the subject of food. They were very hangry all of the time, apparently. You may be hungry right now, and you're like, hey, would you hurry up with the message? Because I'm hungry. I need something to eat. But they were always complaining about food. So God actually provided manna from heaven. Bread from heaven, which obviously points to Jesus, who is the bread of life that's come from heaven. But it got to the point where they were so sick and tired of it because they wanted something else. And here's what starts happening whenever we allow our irritations and we try to be our own answer to the irritation instead of going to God first. They began to complain and they began to compare. They complained against God and they began to compare where they, were to, where they were to where they currently are and lost sight of the promise. See, irritations in our life can get us to focus on our past instead of focusing on the promise that God gave us. See, manna was not meant to satisfy them. It was meant to sustain them. It was not always supposed to be there. As a matter of fact, Joshua 5.12 says it. Then the manna ceased. They finally got into the promised land on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. See, in the place of irritation, they decided it would be best to go back into bondage rather than walk in the freedom and the promise that God has for them. And we can fall into that same trap if we're not careful. So how will you respond to the irritations in your life? How are you going to adjust? What are your actions and your attitudes going to be in that season? Because if you would give it to God, he would use it to form something beautiful in your life so that you'd be able to walk into the next season. I feel like many of us, God would say to us, hey, I would love to help if you'd let me. I have four kids. There's many times where they may be doing something and they're struggling with it, whether it's opening a jar, grabbing something off a shelf that's higher, and I'll ask him, hey, if you, do you want my help? And, of course, being kids, they're like, no, I got it. I got it, Dad. Don't, don't help me. So I just watch and watch, and eventually I say, hey, you want me to help? And they're like, okay, yes, go ahead, do it. And I pop open the lid and hand it to them. But I feel like many times we're that way with God. God would love to help us. 
God would love to give us wisdom, but we actually come to God at the end when we try to figure it out on our own instead of the beginning so that he can move us forward into the future. Don't let our irritations keep us from what God wants us to have. 2 Corinthians verse 12, chapter 12, verse 7 and 9 says this. This is about Paul speaking. He said, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from being, becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh. How many of you know a thorn in the flesh is an irritation? A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. By the way, he had revelation, but he also, that revelation could have led him to have pride. So he's saying, I had this thorn in the flesh to keep me from that. Sometimes that'll mess with your theology. But three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. If there is anyone who could have said to God, I deserve for this thorn to be taken away, it'd be Paul. Everything that he'd been through, everything that he'd done, all the churches he'd planted, all the scriptures that he's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he could say, and God would say, yes, of course. But I begged the Lord to take it away three different times. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I rarely ever see when boasting happens that people boast about their weaknesses. The truth is we all have them. Even when we're in interviews, we find some way to convey our weaknesses also as a strength. You know, just my weakness is just I just care about people so much that it just really gets to me sometimes. You know, I'm just such a good worker and so diligent and disciplined. I just work too much, and I'm just so faithful in my work. But we could just be a workaholic, and that could be the case too. But we always find a way to take our weakness and communicate it as a strength. But Paul begged for this irritation to be removed. But here's the perspective that God gave him, that my grace is actually all you need. See, so many times we're wanting so much more from God that we actually just need to receive his grace for the situation that we're in for us to be able to continue to do all that he's called for us to do. Because God's power is actually made perfect in our weakness. See, so many of us disqualify ourselves because of weaknesses that we have. See, when God calls you, he actually has factored in your weakness. He knows where you are weak and he gives you grace and his power is made perfect so that ultimately he gets the glory. See, there was, in a sense, the church was actually formed out of the wounds of Jesus. It was the suffering that he went through on the cross that paid for our sins that got us in relationship. Like the pearl, the church is actually a product of his suffering. And the suffering that he went through was so that we could have access and have the right relationship with God once again. That he gave his life as a sacrifice so that we can be in relationship. See, it's important. Remember, it was a pearl of great price. It was a pearl that was valuable. See, I want to say this. The value of something is what someone is willing to purchase it for. You may have a car, you may go to sell it, and you may think it's top dollar value. You go to Kelly Blue Book, and then you go to try to sell it, and no one wants to buy it for that price. The price is not what you desire. The price is actually what someone is willing to pay for it. This is why it's a problem whenever we try to go to the world or even ourselves to identify our value. Because if we try to self-identify what our value is, we will always fall short of the mark and the standard that God sets. Here's the way that God values you. And so many times we hear it that we just take it for granted. 
But he vowed you at the price where he was willing to give his son to die on the cross so that you and I can be in relationship with him. See, Jesus is the merchant. You and I are the pearl. And it said for one pearl is what he sold everything for. See, he did it for you. It's a relationship. It's personal. And if you were the only one, he still would have given his life because he loves you and cares for you that much. So there is an impact that can come from the irritation. And as we talk about this final parable, I'm going to step into point number two. Point number two is this. There will be a judgment. There will be a judgment. Matthew 13, 47 through 52 says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? He's talking with his disciples, and they said to him, yes, Lord, which is a miracle in and of itself, because if you read through the Gospels, the disciples rarely understood anything. But Jesus actually doesn't correct it. He said, then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the, th the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and things that are old. See, Jesus is saying, and even over this last seven weeks as we've been talking about parables, once you have understanding, you now have responsibility. See, the Christian life isn't one we're just supposed to be continuously learning without actually living it out. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. We're supposed to walk it out in love. We're supposed to be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Another way to say it is we're not just supposed to attend. We're supposed to be activated. We're supposed to be engaged in the mission that God has on this earth using the gifts and the talents that he's given us to be able to walk it out in his strength. But now that we understand the kingdom of heaven, we also have a responsibility to be able to share that with the rest of the world and fulfill the great commission. But Jesus, in this moment, is actually talking privately, privately with his disciples. He has four that are fishermen, and he's using this illustration of a dragnet. A dragnet typically was used by the fishermen. There were two uh, separate boats, and they'd lay out a net. they put it to the ground, and then they would drag the net. So, very clear what it was. But they would drag it all the way to the shore to catch everything that was in it. It really didn't matter what they caught, because they were... When they got to the shore, they were about to separate everything whenever it was to the shore. And in the same way, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. That everything right now is being sorted together. There will be a time where God separates, the, through the angels, separates the just from the wicked. See, it's, it's important that we really take the time to answer this question that who is Jesus in our lives? Have we actually surrendered our lives to him because it's the most important decision that you will ever make? See, Psalm 14.1 says this, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. Psalm 10.4 said, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. The question for all of us is God in our thoughts as we go about our day. See, pride is what keeps us from seeking after God. We think we don't need him. We think we can live this life without him, or we think we're better off without him. But in the end, there will be no excuses. Romans 1.20, 
says this, the Paul is writing, he says, for since the creation of the world, so since the very beginning, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, God is an intelligent designer. Everything that's in this world, he created. And it's important that we understand that he is the created. The, the scriptures start with, in the beginning, God. You could really stop right there and summarize it. That everything else was created from him. And he is ultimately the designer. Uh, I mentioned before the church, but I'm really not the handiest person in the world. Some people, like, they love to build things. They love to put things on walls. Um, none of my friends ever call me when they need something built unless they want me to bring over food or something like that, and they just want me to hang out. So I'm not that handy of a person, but I, I try my best to be uh, so I can show my kids, hey, here's what it looks like to be able to build stuff. But I finally had a breakthrough, and I just want to let everyone know about it. So last Sunday, whenever we were coming to church, we hopped in one of our cars, and I tried to get it to start, but it didn't start. Uh, so I figured the battery was out. At least that's what I hoped uh, happened. Uh, so we went through our Sunday, came into church, and obviously, uh, and then Monday, I was like, okay, I need to go get it fixed. But then I had this thought to myself, you know what? I can fix it. <laughs> Why not? I've never done it before, but surely I can fix it. So I went in there, uh, I popped open the hood, and then I went to grab a YouTube video where a mechanic was showing what it looked like to change a battery on the exact car and design that I was changing mine on. Uh, except he had all the tools necessary to change <laughs> that battery, and I did not. I'm like, once again, I got this. We got strength right here. We're going to be able to use it. We don't even need tool. So I go, and I'm taking it apart, and the video is about three minutes long, and about an hour and a half into this, I basically have only two of the screws off because of how I needed to reach in and the tools I didn't have. But eventually, I got it apart, and I went, bought a battery, then brought it back, and was able to put it in because I listened to the design of them in the manual of the person who knew what to do in order to be able to put it in. I want to let you know uh, the, the car is good. The car is running just fine now. I have completed the task, had a breakthrough. It's a big moment in my life. Thank you for celebrating with me. But I went by the design necessary in order to get the result that I needed. See, God is the intelligent designer. There have been many, even atheists, who have sought out to disprove God and actually become believers. See, there are galaxies that we're still discovering. In 2016, one was discovered. See, God is infinitely bigger and infinitely greater than we could ever think, yet he's also very personal and loving towards us. But he is an intelligent desire. And the truth is, is our belief doesn't change the truth. See, the truth is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's God that's come in the flesh. And it is us believing in him that gives us eternal life in the future and abundant life today. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So I have a few questions for you as I continue on this point. And you can answer back if you like. If you don't know the answer and you don't want to look a little bit uh, silly, it's okay. Just somebody else will answer. So will everyone be judged? Yes. Believers and unbelievers. Yes. 
Okay, that's good. Y'all passed the first test. This is good. Will we all be judged according to our works? Okay. 2 Corinthians 5.10. I love how y'all said it very confidently. That's that points right there at least. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Ecclesiastes 12.14. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. 1 Peter 1.17, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality, that just means favorites, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. That word fear means reverence for God. So once again, are you included as in each? That was a simple one. Everyone can definitely answer that one. Are you included in every? So will each and every one be judged? Will we be judged by grace or by works? Yes, is the answer. Hey, y'all are doing well. I love this. It's really not multiple choice, one or two, 50-50 shot, but hey, you're doing great. But here's, you may even be here, and you're like, but you taught that we're saved by grace, not by works. And that's true, but we need to distinguish between our belief and our behavior. See, our belief determines where we spend eternity. Our behavior determines how we will spend eternity. And you need to be able to understand that. You cannot behave your way into a relationship with God. You cannot behave your way into be made, being made righteous. You have to believe and receive what God has. But in the end, the Bible describes two specific judgments. There's a great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for all believers. And the great white throne judgment is a judgment for unbelievers. And at each of those, works are being judged. Revelation 20, 11 through 13 says this. Then I saw a great white throne. That's where they got great white throne. It's really not that clever or anything like that. It's just right there in the scriptures, okay? And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great. Standing before God and the books, that's plural, were open. And another book, singular, was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works." So there's two books described. There's books that contains works that has to do with our behavior. But there's also the book, which contains names, which is because of our belief. It's the book of life. That whenever you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and put your trust and your faith and surrender your will to him, your name is written in the book of life. And it's important that we understand this because we will all be judged, but the judgments will be different. You don't have to go to the great white throne judgment. You can place your belief in God and be there just for the judgment seat where you will receive a reward because you will either be rewarded or condemned. Matthew 6, 3 through 4 says this, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father 
who sees in secret himself will reward you openly. So who's going to reward you when you get to heaven? The Father himself. He was, he's going to do it personally. Once again, it's a personal relationship. God's not going to, when we all get there and billions are there, he's not just going to wave his hand over us and say, all y'all done good, come on in. That's not what he's going to do. You're not going to be standing in the back wondering, hey, what did he say? No one's going to have to relay to you the message. He's going to be able to speak to you personally, reward you personally. He's going to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And he's going to be able to speak the truth to you. And here's the truth. When we talk about judgment, I'm really not trying to scare you. I'm almost like a doctor trying to tell you that there is a disease, but there's also a cure. And that cure is Jesus Christ. Like you don't have to go to the great white throne judgment. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. See, we were born sinners. But when we accept Jesus, we are born again righteous and in relationship with God once again. And he gives us his spirit and empowers us to walk in the newness of life that can only come from him. He changes our desires. He changes our, our will to be able to please him. And it's important because the choice is yours, which judgment that you're going to go to. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Every single service we ask this question, what's the Holy Spirit saying to me through this message? Some of us may be at that place of irritation right now and it's led us to a place that hasn't been healthy and it hasn't been good in our relationship with God. Some of us may be at that place where we're experiencing weakness and we need God's grace to show up in that moment. I believe that he wants to do that for every single person today. But some of us may also be here and we don't know which judgment that we'll be going to. We don't know if our name is written in the book of life. And it's important that you know that answer. Because one day we will all be judged. But if you're here today, and in a moment here, we're about to go into one more worship song. And the prayer team is going to come down front. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. I say it every single week, never leave this place with the same burdens that you came in without, without joining your faith with someone because we believe that prayer changes things. But if you're here today and you haven't surrendered your will and your life to Jesus and have your name written in the book of life, I'm about to pray a prayer here. I mean, in a second, I would just love for you to say, count me in as you pray that prayer, Pastor Ethan. Count me in as you pray that prayer. I want my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to receive Jesus into my life. If you are here today and you would say, hey, count me in, would you just raise your hand right now all across this room? Raise it high. You should be proud of your decision. Every head bowed, every eye closed, raise your hand. All right, you can put them down. In a moment here, I'm going to pray a prayer. And just so you know, it's not the prayer that saves us. It's ultimately the heart posture that is surrendered to him. But as we pray that prayer, I want you to do this in your heart because I believe that God is going to renew you and make you a new creation in this moment by putting our faith and trust in him. So Heavenly Father, right now, I thank you for every single person that raised their hand as a declaration that they are wanting to receive you as their Lord and their Savior. We say right now that we repent of all of our sins. We know that we're sinners before you and we need a Savior. And you're the God who loves us you're the God who saves us, and you're the God who cares. 
And we pray right now and surrender our will to you. We believe that you sent your son to the earth to die on the cross for our sins. You were buried and raised three days later. And we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that our names are written in the book of life because of a God who loves us and a God who is willing to sacrifice his life for us. Now empower us to walk in the newness of life. I thank you for that right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said amen and amen. joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.